Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. This week it comes from the Amex, where of course Newcastle will be heading down to on Saturday for a 3 p.m. kickoff. I'm joined by a familiar face to the Everything Is Black and White podcast, Richie Mills, who is the Brighton reporter for Sussex Live. Richie, thanks for popping on to the podcast. How are things? My pleasure. Uh, yes, all good. Looking forward to um, a clash between two teams that are very much on the up at the moment. Mm. In our match preview that I recorded with John Gibson, I was we, we had a discussion and I said that from a neutral point of view, I think this could be the game of the weekend, really. I think you've got two teams, as you say, on the up there. They've performed well in their opening game of the Premier League season. And I'm just really excited to see how they battle it out against one another. Yes, I mean, <clears throat> obviously, Newcastle correct me wrong was it the, the second or third best form team in 2022 um so you know that's an unbelievable turnaround from Eddie Howe and and just from my perspective I think uh, obviously they did spend 90 million but so much of it was just improving the, the players that he had and making them better which is you know I think something that's maybe not talked about as much as it should be sometimes just improving that like coach is just improving players so the job that Eddie Howe has done I think has been fantastic and arguably, you know, deserved his new contract. Um, and with Brighton, they secured their best ever Premier League finish last season. They came ninth from the Premier League, just six points off um, a European qualification spot, uh, 51 points, which is, I think, 10 points better than their record at Premier League level. So everything was, you know, was rosy. But then on the other side of the coin, they've just sold two of their best players and Eve Basuma to Tottenham and Mark Kukurea to Chelsea. So it'll be interesting to see how they do over the long stretch. But for the short term, obviously, they got their first ever win at Old Trafford with a 2-1 win over Manchester United at the weekend. So they're still finding ways to impress people. But yes, it's uh, it should be a, a very interesting matchup. I mean, they didn't just win against Manchester United. They thoroughly deserved it. They, from what I saw, performed really well. Given the exits, not just on the pitch, but also, of course, in the boardroom with Dan Ashworth heading up to Newcastle United. Did you expect such a, a good performance? I know it's only one game, so like Newcastle United fans and the win over Nottingham Forest, you know, expectations have to be, uh, you know, brought down to a certain level. But given the performance and the story that was there at Old Trafford as well, given it was the first game of the new the new era, so to speak, for Manchester United and the new manager, were you surprised by just how well Brighton performed? Yes. <laughs> yes, they were. They were. Um, I, yeah, I just thought that uh, under Eric Ten Hag, I thought you know they would might they might get that kind of bounce, and they had a decent preseason. Um, as Brighton had never won at Old Trafford before, but apart from um, you know encouraging start from United, Brighton, yeah, as you say, were worthy winners. They they outfought and outthought. Um, Manchester United, they tactically they were fantastic, not just in an attacking sense with some of the like beautiful flowing team goals, but just the way that they they pressed and they um uh they kind of harried the opposition players and, and um teamed up on them well. It was just it was yeah, it was a it was a, a Graham Potter masterclass. And it, yeah, as I said, like to lose your two top players but then still produce a fantastic performance, I don't think anyone I think Brighton fans were confident they could maybe get some from the game or a little bit optimistic, but the manner of the victory and 
to yeah, to come away with three points like that and seemingly not miss Pesumal Kukure was was a real statement. Now, looking at how they lined up, and I've got the team up in front of me here from BBC Sports. So if you're a Brighton fan, don't write in and say I've got the formation wrong. But it looked like they played three, three, three. Is that correct? <laughs> it was so they actually played with three at the back and then two wing backs. Um, and then they had, I guess, what was that? A few midfielders and then a striker up top. So BBC Sport maybe has let you down a bit there. Okay. How will they line up against Newcastle? Will it be a similar formation now you've explained it? And to be fair, 3-3-3, three, 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 that one, I mean, that's still a player short. So there's my brilliant math skills going out the window. <laughs> Um, you can write in about that one. But yeah, will they line up in a similar fashion? Do we? Do, I mean, because you, you look at the bench, you've got Lampney was on the bench. I know he's had a few injury problems. He's obviously destined for massive things. But is it a case that the lineup, the players that beat Manchester United, you think they will be the ones to start against Newcastle? I think there's a very good uh, chance of that. I think the way that they played, it would be, it would be very harsh to drop anyone. Um, you know, pretty much everyone last week was sort of, minimum seven sachet out of ten in terms of their performance they were they were fantastic and in terms of uh the way that brighton might line up i think you've got obviously rob sanchez in goal uh, who's been linked with a move to newcastle in the past um you've got the big center backs of um adam webster and and lewis dunk with the more versatile joel veltman and then as wing backs interestingly uh, leandro trossard who's more of a winger slash attacking midfielder sometimes false nine um, he played very well as a uh, wing back at the weekend and actually scored a hat trick against Espanyol in Brighton's final preseason game as a wing back. And Solly March is, is a, a very accomplished uh, wing back as well. He's actually keeping Tarek Lamptey out of the team. Lamptey's not quite been as sort of explosive as he was when he, um, to quote Micah Richards, burst on the scene um, a few years ago, or sorry, when he, when he actually came in um, 2020. He, yeah, he hasn't really, I think, been back to his best since the injury. Uh, he's maybe not been as uh, willing to take people on or just um, maybe throwing caution to the wind. He, he's a bit more thoughtful and, and sometimes doesn't always go for that option. So he's <clears throat> he's a good impact sub to have. Sub to have. But um, And then in terms of the midfield, I think you've got, let's yeah, say, Moises Caicedo, who was fantastic against uh, United um, with McAllister, Alexis McAllister, um, Pascal Gross, and Lana. And Lana could be the one who could potentially make way because he's um, he's had a history of injury problems and sometimes he hasn't always played back-to-back games just because they want to manage his minutes and he is 34. So he could be the one that potentially go out, but the way he played again, he was fantastic. So I can see him staying. And then and then Welbeck was up front um, on his own and he did a, a brilliant job. Um, I think he actually had a, a stomach bug and Graham Potter said before the game, well, after the game, sorry, that um, he still would have played even if he had a toilet seat strapped to his back. So, um, yeah, Brighton at the moment will feel confident and I don't think they'll make any changes. Um, but they might they might sort of, because obviously Newcastle are a different proposition, tactically they might do some things a little bit different, but I still think the same personnel will be there. Yeah, it was well bet that I missed off there off, off the formation. He was the the one in front of the the last uh, the last three. So apologies, to Danny Welbeck. But if that was Danny Welbeck performing not at one hundred percent fit because he's worried about having a nip to the loo, then you know it, it, it's quite the uh, the praise for him because he, he was excellent against Manchester United. What's it going to be like when uh, 
his stomach's not doing turns. Yeah, it was funny on, on that topic. Uh, Gary Neville actually said that Welbeck was the best United player on the pitch because obviously he was ex-Man United. And Rio Ferdinand said United should have signed Welbeck this, Welbeck this summer because he was he was a free agent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he. what's interesting is that since he's joined Brighton, he's always had a bit of an injury issue or he's had disruptive pre-season, whereas this is the first time in a long time he's not had that and he looks... Um, in fantastic shape. Um, the amount of running he did was fantastic. He, he gave Harry Maguire and Lisandro Martinez all sorts of problems at the weekend. Um, he's he's looking, yeah, he's looking. Uh, there was someone in the press box behind me at Old Trafford who said, "This is the fittest I've seen him in ten years," and he looks young again. And yeah, I couldn't argue with that. He was um, he was holding up the ball very well. He was making so many kind of um, great runs off the ball, drawing defenders away. Um, Chasing after loft causes when he didn't really need to, he probably should have been given a penalty as well uh, from foul from Martinez. So, yeah, in terms of his versatility and just kind of selfishness for the team, he's he's a dream um, for Graham Potter. You mentioned Alana there, the prospect that he might drop out because of his his injury record and his his age. But he was another one who who stood out for many. Uh, you know, Newcastle fans have uh, have been fortunate enough to see players in their side of, of late being able to pick a pass, spray the ball around. And for many, Lalana was was the man doing against Manchester United. And he'll be the one, if fit and starts, that Newcastle will probably have to try and keep quiet, I would imagine, to, to disrupt the play and the build-up to attacks. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think um, he's, yeah, he, he was brilliant and just sort of so intelligent in terms of his, uh, his pressing and, and his decision-making. And he just sometimes... Uh, in a, in I guess a time when, for especially at Brighton, a lot of people or fans are calling for like youngsters to be involved and in, in kind of have a more exciting thing. But you do need older, wiser heads. And Graham Potter said the weekend, you know, Welbeck, Pascal Gross, and, and Lana are just great examples of, you know, consummate professionals who, whenever there's like a running exercise and training, they're the first ones there. They're the ones setting the example. And and yeah, he he did sort of he just seemed to have a little bit more time on the ball just so calm so assured <clears throat> link sorry linking up with his teammates really well so um but yeah I, I do think he's not as mobile as he once was so perhaps if you if um if you get a no double up on him that could be something but Welbeck said that what he's very good at is that it's, it's like uh the ball is stuck to his foot he's just got such great close control and, and ability to find a pass so um, yeah, again, if if he can keep the levels that he did at the weekend, he could be a threat to Newcastle. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he can keep those high standards again. Mm, I mean, it's it's slightly Bruno Gomes will probably play a deeper game with Joe Linton and, and, and Joe Willick just ahead of him. So it's going to be really interesting midfield battle. I'm really intrigued to see how uh, you know the kind of the wide men for Brighton do against the likes of Trippier and Matt Target. Just give us a bit of insight to who who Matt Target and, and, and Trippier may have to keep quiet this weekend. Uh, yes, so um, sometimes they, uh, if it will be wing-backs-wise, they'll go with Leandro Trossard, the Belgium international, and Solly March, um, who's an England, well, former uh, under-21 English international. So, And sometimes they swap over, so that's something just to keep your eye on. Um, Trossard is a right footer who likes to play on the left and cut in a lot. 
and Solly March is a left footer and also likes to go the same, but they can easily swap over. But Trossard, I think, has more joy on the left cutting in. Uh, so that's probably one for Trippier to, to keep an eye on. Um, but he's... Um, Trossard, I think, is the, the real threat, I'd say, of the two because um, he had a fantastic run of form at the end of last season. Uh, he actually ends up being Brighton's joint top scorer of Neil Mope. Eight goals, which is you know not a huge return, but for Brighton, that was very, very good. Um, and he's so versatile. He can uh, He just pops up all over the pitch. He beats players for fun. He loves just kind of some sometimes a little bit of a criticism is that he maybe takes one touch too many and he almost likes to to beat an extra player even though he doesn't need to. Um, but he seems to have uh, become more consistent over the last uh, in 2022. He's scoring more goals. Um, as I say, he scored a hat trick against Espanol uh, in the last preseason match. He can shoot right foot, left foot. Very nippy little player. Um, yeah, on his day, you know, he can um, he can sidestep three people in a po- in a telephone box. He's uh, you know he's 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 really really creative and um, on this form at the moment he's he's a, a big threat. But uh, yeah, I, I'd um, target and uh, and Trippier will have to look after those two well. It's like you were describing Alan St. Maximum there. I'm sure in your cast night your fans when you were talking about a player trying to beat a man after he's beaten him and trying to... What was it the phrase you used there? Sidestep three players in the telephone box. It does sound like Alan St. Maximum. It sounds like the same frustrations as well that fans maybe have with St. Maximum as they have with, with Trossard, maybe just not making the right decision at the right time. And it's fine margins, isn't it? Because we saw against Nottingham Forest, St. Maxim actually making the right decisions, passing the ball down to Joe Linton, who got the ball in the box for Callum Wilson to score a superb goal. Whereas St. Maxim of old probably would have tried to take it on himself, you know, go and try and beat a few men and go back for another and then lose the ball. Um, is, is do you, I haven't watched Trossard for, for quite a while. Someone, Dan Ashworth, knows uh, quite well as well. Are you seeing him and his decision-making getting better and then that in turn is a benefit to, to Brighton? Yeah, so it was interesting. Last season, he went through sort of peaks and troughs. So he started the season um, very well. Uh, he scored a, uh, a last-minute winner for Brighton at Brentford. Um, and uh, he also scored... Then he was played as a false nine a couple of months later at Liverpool. Um, um, uh, was was fantastic. Ran their defence ragged. Um, but then... Uh, and so, and then he scored against Newcastle in the one-all draw at the MX last um, last November, I believe. But then he had a bit of a bad spell, didn't score for a while, and then scored on I think Boxing Day, and then had to wait until April for his next goal. So he went through this kind of ups and downs for for quite extended periods. But then from um, I guess April to the rest of the season, he scored four goals and, and got two assists. Uh, he scored against Arsenal in Brighton's 2-1 win at the Emirates. He scored the winner against Spurs a week later. Um, he scored a fantastic solo goal against Wolves um, at the end of that month. And then he scored again against Man United in the 4-0 win and got two assists in that game. So he, at times, can be unplayable. Um, and he looks like he's sort of ironed out kind of the some of the issues and, and maybe not taking the right options off of that. He still can do that, but I think his uh, he just has a more consistently good performance more often where he won't have 
like a barren spell. But um, obviously, the season is very long, so he, that could still happen. But at the moment, he um, he's arguably playing the best football of his career. And on Alan St. Maxman, how are Brighton going to keep him quiet? Because if he continues the way he started the season, again, I know it's only one game, but he's had a decent pre-season. He's a joy to watch, and he, he does terrify Premier League defenders. So can Brighton cope with him, do you think? I, again, I, I think, um, you know, on his day, um, he's, again, a player that is just, he can run rings around you. He's, um, from I guess, from like a Brighton perspective, we just sort of see the highlights. So we maybe just see the best of him. So we don't see maybe the frustrations. But I think last, um, before the Newcastle-Brighton game, when Newcastle won 2-1, I think it's St. James's part last season, um, he, uh, Graham Potter described... St. Maximum as explosive and uh, one that you've just got to always keep your eye on. And I think Brighton, um, it, last season, they when they had sort of bad spells, teams did well against them on the transition, on the breakaway, and with pacey players. And if you've got a Lewis Dunk, who's six foot four, Adam Webster, who's six foot three, Joel Veltman's no slouch, but they aren't, if you can get quick players running at them, you can have joy. And I think. So Maxman is definitely a player who could um, cause cause them issues. And what about Callum Wilson as well? A man, I guess, a bit like Lewis Dunk, perhaps with an eye on, on the World Cup squad with uh, low hopes, I guess, of getting into to the side given Gareth Southgate's tendency to pick players he's, he's worked with and all the options and both positions and what have you. But how will Brighton keep him quiet? Because, again, he's a man who, on his day, is absolutely deadly. He was quiet. For a lot of the game against Nottingham Forest, but he, he when he with the chance was presented to him, he scored and it was a wonderful goal. Do you think that's a, a test that the, the Brighton defence will be relishing to keep a man of his quality quiet? Yes, I, I do. But uh, yeah, I mean he's again um uh I I personally think we haven't seen the best of him at Newcastle just because of his injuries. Um, you know, he he was what got ten or so goals and he missed so much of the season, so that just shows how good a player he is. Um, yeah, I mean, his, his finish against Forrest was, you know, delightful little flick and he did actually, um, I think it was it in the, in the last time Brighton met Newcastle at the Amex, he, uh, basically his pace and alertness, um, end up in Robert Sanchez, the Brighton keeper running out and, and take him out. And that led to a red card and, um, and then Lewis Dunk had to go in goal. So. Uh, yeah, on on his day, he, he's definitely definitely a threat. Uh, just as a question from a, a Brighton perspective, um, do would he play up on on his own? Because I think if you have you know three centre backs, um, you will need to get you know your midfielders bombing forward to to keep them occupied. So uh, is that a, like one up top or? Yeah, I would think. Yeah, it would probably be one one up top with with Miggy and 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 uh, Almiron. You know, kind of wide-ish and then running in with the ball. But then you have the likes of Joe Willick, Joe Linton, breaking, breaking from deep, Bruno Gomes as well, getting forward. So I think what what's going to be key is if, if Joe Willick can find his can find his, his form because his forte is, is running in late into the box and, and, and nabbing a goal. And what we need for the, to see the best of Callum Wilson, we need to see the best of Joe Willick, I fear, I fear as well, because, you know, at the moment, the burden on goals is coming from from Callum Wilson, um, and, but he's not always getting the service. So I think that'll come in time. But yeah, on Saturday, I think I think it's potentially a big game for Joe Willock, actually, because I think 
Joel Linton and Gemaresh are pretty much guaranteed to start in that midfield three. You know, Joe Willick has Longstaff for company, Sean Longstaff and Elliot Anderson as well, banging on the door. John Dushel is unfortunately injured, but Newcastle also linked to one or two of their central midfielders as well. So I think it's a big few weeks for Joe Willick and, and Saturday is is a, a chance for him to to really prove to Eddie Howe that he's the man to to fill that third space in that Newcastle United midfield. It's going to be an exciting exciting uh, one to watch. Just a, a thing to want to add as well, just about um, where Brighton can be um, got at, I guess. So a prime example was when Newcastle beat Brighton last season. Um, I think it was, uh, uh, who was it? It was J- yeah, Jacob Murphy. Um, Brighton had a chance one on one end and then very quick break rate from, from Murphy. And uh, he's, I think, shot hit the post and then Fraser hit home. So, and... I think Fraser actually, sorry, Murphy um, outpaced Mark Kukure, who was no slouch, obviously now at Chelsea, but, and Kukure is faster than a Dunker or a Webster. So they've already shown that they can on the break be dangerous. And I think Brighton will definitely be wary of that. They might, um, well, knowing Graham Potter, he, you know, is a very, very uh, astute manager. I think he might be maybe put an extra person back or, or something like that. But um, yeah, that's, that's another but Newcastle that's the thing Newcastle have got a lot, lots of pacey players and skillful players so uh, they definitely won't be underestimating them that's uh, good to hear I guess because when they do break on the counter Newcastle they look a force to be reckoned with I mean Gumresh has just come in and he looks like a top four midfielder so hopefully Newcastle can can hold on to him and build a team around him because he looks excellent yeah. match him when the ball is beat you know, a few defenders can stop him. So I think from a Newcastle point of view, Brighton want to want to get the better of them. They, they have to try and break up the you know that 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 speed of attack that Newcastle have most certainly got. Um, in terms of Brighton's biggest strength, Richie, what is it that Newcastle really have to look out for? Oof. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think one thing that they did so well against United was the midfield battle. They were just so smart. They, they just, they, um, for example, if uh, one player went forward, someone would drop back and they were almost just like uh, the, the sort of the, the group of um, Caicedo, McAllister, um, Gross and, and Alana. They were just, they were just so, so in tune with each other, so in sync. Um, and, and they, they outclassed the likes of Bruno Fernandes and um, Christian Eriksen and then Fred and McTominay. Um, well, that's that's less of an achievement, I'd say. Ha oh. um, So, I think what will be key is that if Brighton, uh, so much of their success has been down to having uh, a dominant midfield in recent times. Um, their results last season, they just they were so so good in that area, and that allowed them to do it. So, I think if if Newcastle can match or even better Newcastle uh, Brighton in the midfield, that will be uh, a great chance for them to to win the game. So, I think if they can. They can get on top of Brighton's midfield, which is, I think, is their strongest area. Um, and but they've also got options off the bench in terms of they've uh, they've got this um, absolutely rapid uh, Japanese winger called Karo Matoma, who was signed from um, uh, he was signed a year ago, but then he had to spend a year um, in Belgium so he get enough uh, points for a work permit. And but he's come back and he is an old fashioned winger who actually sort of takes it to the byline but he can he can just um 
naught to 60 and you know <laughs> two seconds whatever he's just so quick off the mark and and i think brighton um yeah they've they've got the and again lamped as well is very very quick they have they have strength and depth and um so i think there's you know for all of newcastle's very good form i think they they will also have to not underestimate brighton because uh they're a very good team mm, most certainly again i go back to the point i think for the neutral this is potentially going to be a brilliant game to cover and uh, sorry well to watch rather brilliant game for us to cover um in terms of uh, i had a question then i've totally forgotten what it was i had a really good question give me a second in terms of uh the view from from brighton on, on newcastle as a, as a whole what is the what do you think the view is firstly off from from fans when they look at newcastle obviously the, the takeover uh, the, the money they've spent in the transfer window um, how are, how are Brighton fans looking at, upon Newcastle? And, and and we're recording this before Graham Potter's press conference, so we don't know what he's going to say about Newcastle. I don't imagine it's going to be anything uh, headline worthy. But also, what's the view of Potter on 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 Newcastle and Eddie Howe? <clears throat> so I think um, Graham Potter's yeah. It, when they matched up, I think in um, in March, he spoke very very highly of Eddie Howe. Uh, said he was a big admirer of the work they did at Bournemouth. And I think that sort of opinion would have only grown in the sort of subsequent months because of the way Newcastle finished the season in on such high. And uh, I think he, he will say similar to kind of, um, without sounding too much of a git, um, what I've been saying just in terms of, he, he'll be really impressed with the way that he's, you know, brought forward a Joe Linton or... Um, maybe, a, you know, kind of the other less heralded players at Newcastle before who have now come to the, to the fore. So I think he, he'll talk about that. And, um, you know, obviously when, uh, you know, Newcastle have untold riches and all that, um, you would expect maybe them to make huge signings. But I think he will probably also say that they look like they've, they've made astute signings and um, not kind of, um, you know, gone for the the big big money one so far so i, I think he'll definitely be he, he will yeah he'll be very much impressed and um he he just on uh i think some people are calling this the dan ashworth rivalry um he graham potter and dan ashworth had a very good relationship when they were uh at, at brighton and the fact that uh that has now um i guess he's now speaking very highly about eddie howe that there's a lot i think there's some similarities between potter and, and how um lots of positives and um yeah i think it will just be a lot of praise uh from the brighton boss and from the fans as well do they do they care that newcastle got these you know new owners in and they're trying to upset the, the top eight i always ask this question and actually i'm not really too sure aside from those on on twitter maybe how much other football fans really care about other sides i i think um they'll obviously uh i mean i don't think they'll be that many too happy about it because I guess it's, you know, another team who could um, potentially overtake them in the league and, you know, push them further down and stuff like that. But um, uh, yeah, I think uh, they're obviously from a Brighton perspective, they adore Tony Bloom. He's, you know, a Brighton fan. He's, um, he's, you know, he's owned the club for I think 13 years now Um, and they, they love him. Uh, So, I think they're very happy with their current owners and obviously they'll they might think um 
there's a couple of issues there, but uh, I, I, don't, I think, you know, so this is the way football's been going for a long, long time. And, um, you know, I personally am not a massive fan of it, but, um, you know, that's fortunately that's that's professional football these days. You mentioned there Dan Ashworth. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, how big of a deal is it that he's coming back? You've mentioned there people references this as the Ashworth derby. I mean, he'll, will, he, will he even get a reception? I mean, do, 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 again, do the Brighton fans really care that much? I think um, they... And until the kind of the news, because this is not, you know, this has not been a particularly well kept secret in terms of uh, Newcastle pursuit. I think they, you know, they reached out, I believe, in December before he resigned in early in February. So, and then obviously, I think it took till late May for sort of a mutual um, agreement to be made. So, the Brighton perspective, for, for, I, I think, is they were very appreciative of the work he did in terms of. Um, making the club better run and more streamlined and connecting the different departments and helping with um i guess set up transfer networks and and um and recruitment just being part of that um so yeah there's a lot of respect for what he did uh, and the likes of tony bloom the owner deputy um uh sorry the ceo paul barber and graham potter they spoke so highly of him um but i think life carries on for Brighton they still the sort of they've got someone in new David Weir as in his role um but I think yeah there's definitely respect I think they'll be a, a bit you know disappointed that he did leave um because you know you want the you want the best arguably the best in class to stay at the club but um you know when this opportunity comes up it's, it's a very very good one so I think there'll be respect um but yeah I think they'll they've they'll they've moved on and um, just finally, before I get your, your score prediction, which Newcastle United player, I think I might already know the answer to this, but which Newcastle United player are you, are you most fearing for Brighton? I think it's it's got to be either Callum Wilson or St. Maximin. I just think they have that X factor. And um, yeah, just out of nowhere, they can maybe have quiet games and then just spark into life like that. And um and you know you you can maybe have a great defensive performance for eight nine minutes, but then just they just produce a little bit of magic, and you know you're in trouble. So I think that's what Alan Shearer might have said back in the day. Like you know, I like the fact that you know you might get a good review or something or a good rating because you score a goal, but you can have a quiet game the whole you know the whole the whole match, and then you you explode into life. So yeah, I'd say those two are definitely ones to watch. And just before I get Richie's prediction, just a reminder to you guys listening to please follow the podcast through your podcast provider. Totally free to do. Just means with every new episode we upload, you will get a notification to say it's ready to listen or download. And please remember to leave a rating and review. Helps us get the podcast out to a wider audience and share the episodes among you and your cast night supporting friends and family. And a reminder, we've got a live event on Sunday, the 21st of August at 12 noon at the Tyneside Irish Centre. The panel will consist of Lee Ryder and your cast night editor Aaron Stokes, John Gibson and the Times Henry Winter. It's free entry, which um, is great for everybody. We're going to have a raffle for, to raise some funds for the Subway Robson Foundation and the Newcastle United Fans Food Bank. And it's a perfect way to build up to Newcastle versus Manchester City, which kicks off at 4.30 on that Sunday. The link for tickets will be in the podcast description 
Uh, we've only got about 50 left. So if you want to come along, do get signed up. Like I say, it's free entry. So you've got no excuse. Uh, perfect chance to get a nice pint of Guinness and chat Newcastle United. But first off, before Newcastle face Manchester City, they do indeed face Brighton. Richie, how is the game going to go in your opinion? So after Bryson's fantastic win um, over Manchester United, I am backing them uh, once again to win. But I think it'll be, a, you know, a pretty tight one. But I think they'll edge it 2-1. I said on yesterday's episode with Gibbo that it would be a score draw. And I'm going to stick with that. I think it'll be an entertaining game. I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. I Oof. obviously would like Newcastle United to win. But I, I, I just think... Um, it's just going to be an entertaining game and it'll end as a draw and both teams will go on to have good good seasons. But yeah, a score draw for me. Um, but it's an entertaining game to come, I think. So from a Newcastle point of view, you can follow the game live on chroniclelive.co.uk. Kickoff is at 3pm. We'll be bringing you all the build-up to our live blog from early on Saturday morning with Lee Ryder and Kieran Kelly down on the South Coast. Richie, thank you as always for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. You, if we had a loyalty card, Richie, I think you'd pretty much be all stamped out at this point, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, yes, it's great to to, uh, to chat with you. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. And once again, thank you guys for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your week.